This week's podcast brought to you by Kidney Stones. So a few years ago, I was walking across the street. I had to borrow something from our neighbor. I think I was making chocolate chip cookies and I'd run out of walnuts. and Walnuts. <laughs> walnuts. And so she gave me some walnuts. And, um, and awesome neighbor. We love them. She happens to be about five foot nothing, uh, 4'11", maybe five feet tall. And when I walked back across the street and you were in the front door and I came over and you said to me, how is it possible that you two are the same species. Well, it, it is an interesting range of humanity. And I still think that you were, you filmed the scene in Jerry Maguire. You were cut out of that scene. You were cut out, you were left on the cutting room floor. Because I don't I, even I, think I made the director's cut. Well, maybe someday when there's a nine hour director's cut, but you were expected to be in the same frame with Tom Cruise. Yeah, the, the scene, he walks through the office. This is before he's been fired or left the the agents. And he walks by me and he looks up. <laughs> he looks up and he says, hey, Rebecca. And I look down and say, hey, Jerry. And he keeps going. That, that was my big line. But yeah, I ended up, that scene ended up being cut. And part of it probably was because of the visual. Like people probably could have watched that movie and said, how is it possible that those two are the same species. I think Tom Cruise insisted it be cut. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. So, anyone who follows us on Twitter, you at Steve Rush and me at Rebecca Lobo, knows that you've been dealing with some stuff the past few days. Well, anybody who follows you on Twitter, I certainly didn't mention it, but uh, yeah, I've had kidney stones. And they're still rattling around inside you. You haven't passed them. So uh, if at any point during this podcast, you start screaming or writhing on the floor, people at home will know exactly what, what is happening. But it just got me thinking overall, because I had a friend send me a message and uh, actually Gina Oriama's daughter, Jenna, and it just said, is there anything worse than men in pain? And oftentimes, no, there's not, because uh, men don't like grin and bear it when they're, when they're feeling pain. They like to tell the world about it. And my at replies on Twitter were an example of that, because I mentioned that, you know, you were dealing with kidney stones, and all of a sudden there's a barrage of tweets from men, mostly, just talking about their own experience with kidney stones. I don't recall mentioning a word about it. In public or in private. In fact, the the worst of the pain occurred while you were blithely grocery shopping and ignoring my texts. Well, I don't know exactly what I could have done while you were at home writhing on the floor. But uh, so you had flown home from the Miami Book Fair, which was a, a great book event where you were. Uh, Al Franken was not. He was supposed to be there the day after you, but uh, decided. Canceled at the last minute. Yeah, you did not have to cancel. But I was working. I was at ESPN that day in studio working. And, and the, as soon as I was done, you know, d- doing my stuff there, you, you called me. And you um, clearly kind of out of breath and said, I'm on the way to the ER. And um, my favorite part about it was we had a babysitter at the house watching our kids that day because you were flying home from Miami. And so you call and said, I'm on my way to the ER. 
Tara, our babysitter, was driving you while the four kids were left at home alone, which I get, like you had to get there and didn't want to call the, the ambulance. But then you said to me, you know, because I told you, all right, well, I, I just finished, I just finished working. And you said, okay, so do you want to meet me at the ER? So uh, I just was in my brain picturing you, me and the babysitter having a ginger ale at the ER while our four kids were home taking care of themselves. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I was I was I was doped to the gills on pain medication, <laughs> and yet. I didn't you think driving myself home in a car that I no. didn't have was was really not the best no, best no, idea. You weren't there as yet. you and, know. And I, and I, what I said to you was, let me figure this stuff out because I also had to send you a copy of the insurance card because you didn't have that. So I had to, to take that picture and text. And I said, let let me figure this out. Then I'll call you back in a little bit. And in to to your credit, in that time when you kind of had a chance to think about it, you realized wait a minute, that that won't make any sense. She should go home. And if I need to, I'll Uber home. I did end up coming to the hospital, picking you up, realizing that, you know, if they'd given you pain medicine, it would not be smart of you not to have me there to help you get home. But the initial, uh, the, the initial reaction was something that, that made me chuckle. I, I do, ha- I'll, I'll put this, I do feel a little bad talking about this, knowing that you have a lot of pain still to come. <laughs> this this isn't in your rearview mirror, but uh, and I will be here to, to support you and help you feel better. <laughs> well, I, I apologize if my trip to the ER inconvenienced you in any way. It apparently did. It and, did not uh, at all. And yesterday, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Yesterday, when I said to you, at the end of the day, I'm I'm sorry I was so useless today. You replied. It just feels like a typical Monday to me. So <laughs> your level of sympathy has been uh, has been awesome, and I appreciate it. Well, there's not there's not a lot that there's not a lot that that I can do. If there whatever I can do, I will do and help you through it. But one of the things that cracks me up about kidney stones in particular, and it can only crack me up, of course, because I'm not the one going through it, is how you know people talk about the the three most painful things that you can you can have. One is labor. Uh, giving birth to a child, another one is kidney stones, and the third is a heart attack. But how quickly people like to compare pain to labor pain, and and especially men. But we have had plenty of people on Twitter, women, say, I've both given birth and passed a kidney stone, and kidney stones are worse. So I, I'm I'm sure it's it's not great. But just to give people, if they if they can't believe how unsympathetic I am to, to your pain, an example. This was a couple years ago, I think, and you were in our room and you had you you hit your foot against the the leg of the bed, which is very uncomfortable. And when you kicked it and screamed out and were hopping on one foot, you did say, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm a hundred percent certain, you did say, This is worse than labor pains. Hey, it doesn't sound like me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can now tell you unequivocally that the kidney stones were worse than the, than the toe stubbing. Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that because uh, I don't I don't want you to be in any pain. I really don't. But I will bring this up too. When we had our first kid, our first daughter, you know, sometimes when you're in the hospital, they have you walk around as you're kind of having your your labor pains. It was you know every coming every couple of minutes for me, and they're the kind you know that bowl you over or whatever. As we're doing laps in the hospital, you stopped, went over to the snack machine and bought a bag of, was it Doritos or Fritos? So you could... It would have been Doritos. So you could just snack 
while while walking with me. And then uh, I don't remember which one of our kids this was, but I was in the hospital gown, the blue tie in the back, tie in the front. I think they gave me a double one, even though it still wasn't made for someone my size. And I'm walking in the maternity ward halls. And all of a sudden you came over and said, uh, this person wants to have their picture with you. And you brought the person over while I'm in my hospital gown. <laughs> took the picture. So that was really two really thoughtful examples of your support Well, next when time, I was experiencing some discomfort. Next time, I'll, I'll just speculate, why didn't you Uber there and home? <laughs> Apparently, that's the etiquette. With the, uh, with, the, with the newborn baby. But anyway, so this is a, this is a, a, a saga that we're enjoying in our house right well, now, while and I really I, am sorry. I apologize for eating Doritos with you. At the at the maternity ward, you weren't eating them with me. I wasn't had, had no interest in eating. I uh, was watching you snack while you while you watched me in pain. I only asked when you were away yesterday morning, and I was in the fetal position on the kitchen floor for you to do two things by text. I said, "Could you please cancel the furnace guy?" We needed our air filters uh, replaced. Yes, and could you come home at some point and help me get some Advil? which my doctor sister recommended I take in addition to the pain medication. Got no response to either of those texts. And while lying in the fetal position on the kitchen floor, 10 feet from the Advil, which I couldn't stand up to get in the cabinet, there was a knock on the door. Our dog, Jesse, went crazy. And I crawled slash quasi-motoed myself to the door where the furnace guy was standing. He looked at me like, what the hell is this guy doing? Crouched over in his underpants. And I said to him, I'm passing a kidney stone. I trust you know where the furnace is. I can't be of any more help. (laughs) Well, let me say this, because he was an hour early. I was at the grocery store when you were sending these texts. In our grocery store, I don't get texts in the grocery store. There's no reception there. So I came out, I saw your text, I immediately came home. The guy was already in the basement servicing the furnace. Were you really just in your underpants? I don't remember that part of the story. I hope that's true because it makes the story funnier. And again, this all of this will be a lot funnier to you once you're out of this state of pain. <laughs> I'm sorry but, I'm laughing. but, but Why I'm, is it so funny to you while I'm in this state of pain? <laughs> because I can separate myself from the pain. I know that once... Once you're apart from it, you will realize how funny this is. That's what sets a true warrior like you apart from the rest of us. You can separate yourself from somebody else's pain. (laughs) No, and I, I, that's the thing. I'm completely aware. I'm completely aware of it. And like I said, I'm here to help you. It actually makes me think of one of my, one of my worst moments of being a a mom was when our, our second daughter was about three or four years old maybe and I was I was working that day at the Mohegan Sun Arena it was going to be a WNBA all-star game and all of a sudden she came around the corner crying holding her pillow in her hand and she'd been walking down the stairs holding her pillow and she'd fallen down the last couple of stairs and she's pointed at her shoulder and, and you know saying that it hurt so I had to head out the door you were home I got a princess band-aid out of the cabinet put it on her shoulder and I went off to work. Came back later that night and then in, during the night she woke up a couple times and we realized oh this is something more than just a little boo-boo. So the next day Sunday of course everything happens on the weekend like this. We drove her into the 
Connecticut Children's Medical Center. They did the x-ray and they said, oh yes, she has a fractured collarbone. And I just remember looking at the uh, the doctor and saying, so the princess band-aid that I put on there wasn't the solution. <laughs> and I guess, you know, kids at that age, they're resilient, they heal quickly. The only thing they did was give her a sling. And then, you know, later on when we saw the medical bill, we realized it was an $8,000 sling. But yeah, I, I, I am not a good caregiver in in that regard. And I, and, and I recognize it and I'll try to be better. You're the ultimate example of the old joke a minor procedure is one that happens to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, your your track record of this stuff isn't, isn't stellar. I can also distinctly remember being in Knoxville, Tennessee. This was years ago. We only had two kids, so they were probably aged like three and one. And you were home. And one of the, I think one of the older, our older daughter was sick and she was vomiting a lot. And I just remember it was, it was after the game, so it was probably, you know, 10 p.m., you calling me because our daughter was sick, and then me calling the pediatrician who, you know, then they have to call you back. So, and, and the pediatrician asking me questions, and I'm thinking, I don't know the answer to these things because I'm in Tennessee, but for some reason, I'm the one calling you. But the best part of it all was when I got home from the trip, you smartly had taken the vomit-soaked comforter off of her bed, but you had put it in a garbage bag, sealed the garbage bag, put the garbage bag in the garage, waiting for me to come home. So I came home to try to have to fi- figure no, out no, how no. to no. clean and no. take care of of all of that stuff. That was a way station before we put it at the curb to be collected See, by the garbage. That's not true. I they still she still has the comforter. I cleaned it. You do you don't just throw stuff in the garbage that's, when it gets that, when it gets stained a little bit. That's what that that was your choice, <laughs> not mine. I chose to be the go-between, but you know what? I was the one gone for work. You kept the kids alive for the most part. I can deal with a gross comforter. I had no problem with that. Well, just for the record, I have not complained once about pain, the kidney stones, the none of this publicly. I will make just a few observations about that pain. When we're talking about kidney stone pain versus labor pain, I, I assume it applies to both. I can't say. When you're in that kind of pain, you can turn to the sacred or the profane. You can you can bargain with God or you can curse. I, I discovered in the two hours yesterday of an intense kidney stone pain that I was doing the latter, shouting sure. uh, F-bombs for pretty much two consecutive hours through my house. And I'm sure the guy servicing the furnace was enjoying that. But, but like, why? Did it actually relieve the pain? I've asked you this before because... Like I've said to you, if you were alone in the house and stubbed your toe or or hit something, would you still yell out, ouch? Or is that just for the benefit of the other people so that they hear you and think, oh, he just did something. He's in pain. Let me go check on him. Well, now we know the answer. The answer is yes. I would do that if you weren't here because you weren't here, which leads me to my second point, which leads me to my second point. But did it make you feel better? It did, which leads me to my second point. In labor, you have cursed me out. That's Just for true. my very presence. I don't think that's true, but okay. It is. If it and makes I, and a I found story. out in my moment of, of pain, I was cursing you out. <laughs> See, there's one big difference here. When I was The difference is I was there by your bedside no, and no, you were no, at the no. grocery no, store. No, no, no. That's not the difference. The difference is much of the pain I was having in labor was a result of something that you did. I had nothing to do with your kidney stones. I've been telling you since we got married you need to drink more water. No, in fact, the doctor <laughs> said they are stress-related. 
No, he did not say that. <laughs> he could have. He's, Actually, in point of fact, kidney stones are hereditary, they told me. Yes. And my family has no history of them, and your family is riddled with kidney stones. So that I may be the first medical example of somebody who has sexually transmitted kidney stones. <laughs> Well, don't pass them back along to me. I have to say, when, when we saw the doctor, um, he also was a father of four and the urologist. And he was smart enough to say, you know, I, I know enough not to compare anything to labor pains. But um, but the, the, the doctor that you saw at the ER, isn't he the one who said to you, this is comparable to labor no, pains? No, no, no. He said, now you can tell your wife you have something comparable to labor. He was making a joke. And now, since you posted that almost instantly on Twitter, as soon as I got back, I have had to look at two days of people telling you how awful how, it is. <laughs> amen, brother. It's unbelievably painful, and and I'm still in the middle of this. So, it's like when someone comes over to talk to you, and they say, "I too have whatever," and then they just start talking about how awful and miserable things can be, and you're thinking, "I don't want to hear that. Why? Why would you?" Why would you tell me those things? People love to, we've talked about this in the past, about even about your writing or about about anything. People love to tell you the worst case or, or what they don't like about something. It's it's a really odd thing that, that people do. Didn't somebody tell you this week that they had downloaded my audiobook, <laughs> yes. Stingray Afternoons, and were relieved that I wasn't reading it, presumably because my voice is so horrendous? They wanted to read my writing. They just didn't want to have to listen to this voice while doing it. This was a, this was a tweet. And yes. then added a P.S. What are you doing these yes. days, Rebecca? <laughs> yes. There were so many things that I was laughing about in that tweet. I downloaded Steve's book, relieved that he wasn't reading it, disappointed that you weren't reading it. And yes, by the way, what are you doing now? Uh, that, that's the curse of 280 characters. He could have only mentioned one or two of those things prior to the, uh, the new format for Twitter. I did feel this kidney pain on a tiny airplane, by the way, connecting from Miami through Washington. And I was on a flight from Washington to Bradley. There were high winds here in Hartford. And so we aborted our landing and went back up into the clouds and circled again in the, in the turbulence. And so I think there's a special category of pain reserved for people who have that kidney stone experience on an Embraer jet that you can't stand up well, in. Well, for a 6'5 person to have it on a tiny plane when you're kind of folded into your seat in the most uncomfortable ways. Yeah, you get extra you get extra sympathy points for that. On the Not other that hand, you're looking for sympathy no, no, points. No. But enough about my me medical maladies. What was uh, doubly painful, flying with kidney stones, was having to listen to the inane airline speak. When you're in the when you're in the the GI tract of the aviation system of the national transportation system and you're subject to the constant announcements in this case at reagan national airport i started writing them down what world are these people living in what language are these people speaking well first was was it so bad that the audio system i love when they make the announcements with the audio system is bad so you can't hear what they're saying it's just a jumbled bit of noise or could you actually hear what the announcements well were? i was at one of those gates 35x where you have to take an escalator downstairs to a bus <laughs> and the flights that were leaving from there were to knoxville nashville jacksonville and hartford so despite the announcements, flight 3538 for Knoxville, flight 
3835 to Nashville, everybody still had to come up to the guardian of the escalator and say, did they just announce Nashville? And the guy would angrily say, they announced Knoxville, Knoxville, Tennessee, as if Nashville isn't also in Tennessee. <laughs> and it seemed willfully uh, confusing to have Nashville, Knoxville, Jacksonville all at the same gate, leaving at the same time. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fifth time I heard them announce, once again, this will serve as your last and final boarding call. I thought, once again, I'm beginning to believe that the last four were not my last and final boarding call. Secondly, last and final? Can we choose one of those and, and go with it, please? Secure and locked, the correct local time, all ticketed passengers with confirmed reservations. How about all passengers? Well, this is the question I have for you. So so they, they do this on every airline because you were on American Airlines. When I fly Delta, they use the same ridiculous... All, all airlines do. Yeah. So is it? Is it? I wonder. We'll have to have somebody. Somebody out there tweet us at Ball and Chain Pod and let us know if you work for the airlines. Is this something that came down from the National Trans- Transportation and Safety Board? This is the this is the wording that you have to use. Correct local time. Every time we land and they tell us correct local time when you and I fly together, you roll your eyes. That's one thing that has always. Well, just driven you crazy. Well, because I would prefer the incorrect time somewhere else. <laughs> Tell me what the time isn't here. Or it's even if I ask you, can you preheat the oven? Do you mean heat the oven? Well, well, that's the old George Carlin. How do I pre-board the plane? Am I boarding the plane before I have boarded the plane? But simple things as, you know, the light will come on when you can go to the bathroom. You know, lighted placards will illuminate when it's safe to move about the cabin and be extinguished when you have to return to your seat and and fasten your seatbelt securely about you. Who talks like that? Right, that is true. That's uh, definitely not you. And anytime, even if we're home, if, if I say something that's a little bit redundant, you will immediately call me on it. You don't like, you don't like excessive verbiage if it's, if it's unnecessary. It's like a flagrant foul. Unnecessary and excessive constitutes a flagrant foul, although in college basketball, they're calling it something different this year. So that's just next time you say to me, like, that's flagrant to talking. That's, that's a, unnecessary a, and excessive. You used a flagrant vowel there. <laughs> Check for any personal belongings you might have brought on board with you. Collect any remaining service items. I mean, I've said enough. You, you've, uh, I mean, you travel much less frequently than you used to, just a few times a year. Is this Did this stuff just boil your blood back in the day when you were flying a couple times well, a week? We still frequently travel with our families, and, and we are those passengers traveling with small children. Well, Our children aren't small. No, we're passengers traveling with young children. They're just not That's why, small why don't say children. It. Why don't say passengers traveling with children? Are they worried that if I'm traveling with my dad— he will, he will try to get in boarding group you one know with me. Yes, because you've seen people, like they do everything in their power to get on the plane just a little bit earlier. They, they, they line up like cattle as if, I don't know, as if the worst thing in the world is you, you're, you're, the overhead bin space is taken and you're now going to have to gate check it. So you, I mean, I think that frustrates everybody, the whole boarding procedure. So yes, there would be some people that, they would have a, a father who is in his 80s and a son who is in his 40s, and they would, but, but they fine, would try let to them, board let together. Them, let them, you know. I have a one handheld carry-on. I literally wait to be the last person to board. My seat is reserved. I'm a ticketed passenger with a confirmed reservation. 
So let, let them board. Who cares? Well, you're, you're the exception to that rule, clearly, because most people, most because people do care. So I, it, was, it was a banner weekend all around. You had a great event down at the Miami Book Fair, and we talked about it on our last podcast. They raised the, uh, the Hall of Fame banner at, at Gamble, and they had said to me, after we raised the banner, we, we would like you to say something said between 20 and 30 seconds and I said perfect that's uh, if you if anyone's going to say anything 20 to 30 seconds is the appropriate amount of time not less than 20 seconds (laughs) but not more than 30 seconds I think they would have been fine with less than 20 just absolutely not more than 30 but it, it was just like or similar to when I was getting ready for the hall of fame induction so when they let you know that you're going to be inducted into the hall of fame this happens in March they made the announcement I was in I was in Dallas for the women's final floor, flew to Phoenix because that's when they were making the public announcement. As we're getting on the bus to take us to the press conference, it's eight something in the morning. Multiple people have already told me on induction weekend, your speech has to be between five and seven minutes. It has to be between five and seven minutes. It cannot be longer than seven minutes. I can't tell you how many people. It was at least three or four different people this is 8 a.m. before they've even announced the Hall of Fame class are telling everyone your speech has to be between five and seven minutes. And we hope that in, you're going to need to send it to us so we can proofread it. And I understand because it was going to be televised that you don't want it to go on forever. I understand that in the past people have rambled on forever. But five to seven minutes, five to seven minutes, five to seven minutes. And it's because they've done this for so long that they understand that in life, most events, most things are an hour too long. And so by telling the 11 inductees, we need you to keep your speech five to seven minutes, they're, they're trying to keep the entire event to be under like three or four that's hours. That's still 77 minutes of speeches. That's and, and still lots of other stuff that's going on. And oftentimes when you and I have seen a movie, which doesn't happen very often, you know, that we don't, that the movie we're seeing is generally a G-rated or a... Uh, animated movie that we've taken our kids to Still or you've taken long. the kids to it's we always come out saying that was just a little bit too long it's a half an hour too long almost and, always and when I, I was calling a yukon game re- recently gino oriema a couple nights before had been to see his his daughter Alyssa perform in a show and he went to see it was the adams family he, he told us the first thing he said to her after the show was it was an hour too long. And I said to him, you didn't say like, great job, but it was an hour too long. No, the first thing he said to her was, it was an hour too long. Well, our daughter went uh, last week with a couple of friends to see a local production of Sister Act. And they enjoyed it. Everybody did a great job. They left, I think the show started at, at eight. So I was expecting them home around 10.30. And when they got back at 11.15, they mentioned that the show was nearly three hours long. I haven't seen it. I'm sure it was wonderful, but that was at least an hour too long. And like, there's very few things I can think about that you want to be, to be that long. I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, huge Springsteen fan. I've been to a lot of his concerts and perhaps this is a reflection of my age too, but there've been times where, you know, when he's pushing three and a half hours, you're thinking, all right, this was awesome, but I'm ready to go. Well, forgive me if I've already (laughs) mentioned this on the podcast, but you have famously said to me that if Bruce Springsteen your, your beloved Bruce Springsteen, this was, were performing live in our family room. You would apologize, excuse yourself, say, 
you had to go to bed. <laughs> I don't, don't realize, was, would he be free to play on or would he also have to leave? <laughs> this was just sometimes, especially at the end of the week, it's been a busy week with our kids. We're both exhausted. And I think that was just, I said, oh, and that's what it was. We had friends that were going, we had made plans to go to a concert that also have young kids. And I said, you know, this sounds in theory like a lot of fun, but I know when I got to that Friday and it was time to go out to the concert, I would rather just stay home and watch TV and go to sleep because I'm tired. And I think that's what it was. I said to you, I was so tired that night that even if Bruce was playing in a solo acoustic set in our living room, I tell him I got to go to bed. It wasn't because you were so tired that night. It happens to be true. I, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm also tired, but it's also a function of you having met everybody. I haven't met him. Right. Well, but you're so you're so inured to meeting people that the one person you haven't met and would really like to meet, you would only like to meet for a, for a few minutes <laughs> right. before saying, okay, Bruce, don't let the hit door hit you on the way out. I would, uh, I would even probably get him an Uber. I don't know that I would drive him to the, well, to the airport. And, and we should say, in Bruce's defense, he has no desire to come no. play a private concert right, in our family not. room. He's just as happy never to have met you, perhaps even more happy. No. He, of course. He would have no idea, like, who is this tall woman whose living room I'm in? Is, is there anybody you haven't met that that you would be interested in spending more than 15 minutes with um is there anybody that you haven't met that you have any interest in meeting period if it would involve crossing the street no there's no i, I can't think of anybody that i'm that i'm dying to meet uh no is that is this is that obnoxious like would most people no. be able to rattle off a whole list of people that they would enjoy meeting in a stranger that they would just have burning questions for no, but you're you're ready to wrap it up the life experience portion of life. No, my I I my last flight when I was flying from home from doing games in Columbus, I sat next to a stranger, a guy, and we talked for the 45-50 minutes of the flight and I really enjoyed it. Like I enjoy experiencing and meeting people and he he had a, a line of work that I I didn't even know existed and we talked about his work the whole time and he had a lot of kids and so we talked about that. I, those are the kind of things I That's really right. enjoy. Knowing what a, a massive amount of BS this is, I just want to put it out there then. I'm going to call your bluff okay. and say, if you guys are ever sitting next to Rebecca on an airplane or sitting near Rebecca on an airplane, please regale her with your life story. We'll she see. loves that. No, no, no. I I was the one who started the conversation because I was in the mood to have a conversation. I have, I've sat next to some really odd people on airplanes. I've sat next to people who say things that as they're coming out of their mouths, I'm blown away by it, including sitting next to this short, middle-aged, former middle school teacher who told me how difficult it is to be a tall girl growing up, all of the challenges that come with being a tall girl. And I'm looking at this guy thinking, what do you know as a short, middle-aged Gym teacher, I am a 6'4 woman with giant daughters, and you're giving me advice on, on what how hard it is to be a tall girl. Did this guy also say that kidney stones were much more painful than labor pains? <laughs> yeah, or yes, he may have. But I, I actually engaged him too. That was my fault. I started that conversation. 
yet. Well, you know, just in life. And but especially when you're you're on a plane and you're going to be sitting. I mean, is there any place in life where you're sitting so close to a complete stranger for a few hours? You know, sometimes I'm I need to not talk to somebody and I'll put my headphones in and I am the person who sometimes my earbuds are in and they are connected to nothing. But I just need to not be talking to someone right at at that moment. But then there are times where it's, you know, it's good to engage. But I also read those cues for my seatmate. If somebody's sitting next to me with their headphones in, I'm not going to tap them on the shoulder and talk to them. But there are plenty of people who who are willing to do that. I find that the people who really want to tell you their life story on an airplane are undeterred by headphones or tablets or you're engrossed in a movie. Well, a couple months ago, I was at ESPN and uh, Shamiqua Holdsclaw was there and she was there to to talk about mental illness and she was there to talk about her own experience with being bipolar and at one point in her life being being suicidal. And she said she was on a, a, a flight and she was sitting next to somebody. She likes to talk to people on flights. And so she was talking to the person and she said they ended up getting into this deep conversation or or she she mentioned that she was going to speak somewhere about mental illness and, and the person or in depression and the person next to her just started telling her their entire life story. And she said, you know, when the person was done, they said, God put you in this seat next to me. I just know God put you in the seat next to me. And I said to Shamiqua, did you say to them, no, Delta put you in the seat next to me. Fortunately, she's a better person than I am. And uh, she didn't say that. Delta may as well be God when you're at 30,000 feet. That's true. Speaking of Delta, it makes me think of their hub, Atlanta, Georgia, Yesterday, as we're recording this, the Georgia Dome, where you won your Olympic gold medal in 1996, was imploded. Did it? Did it? Was did it make you sad? Did you not see it because the Marta bus <laughs> pulled up? It shook me to the core. No, it, it is a little bit disappointing because you know, even though I recognize that 21 years has gone by, to me that isn't this amount of time that has rendered a building obsolete. Well, it isn't. Uh, it isn't. I mean, they, the Falcons they, just wanted a new stadium. So, but it, it 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 didn't give me make me go back and have some memories of that experience and you know, in the early rounds of the Olympics, we weren't playing our games at the Georgia Dome. We were playing in different colleges in Atlanta, but then when we got to the medal rounds, we played in the Georgia Dome and the place was so massive that they had a huge curtain splitting both sides of the Georgia Dome. One side had the basketball court where there was still, I don't know, 20,000 people. And on the other side was where the gymnasts performed. They had all the, their equipment out. And so that was happening. But when we would go from the court to the locker room or vice versa, sometimes we would pass the gymnasts as they were coming by. Their competition would have ended and we were going out to do our warm-ups or whatever. And one of my favorite memories, I just wish somebody had captured this on video or on photo, was we would be walking out as the gymnasts, the female gymnasts were walking in and we'd be giving them high fives or uh, more accurately, they would be giving us high fives and we would be giving them low fives because we are, the women's basketball team for the most part was like the giant spectrum of the of the female species and the gymnasts were the miniature spectrum and so as we would walk by each other giving high and low fives it had to have been just the most interesting visual ever and i wish somebody had gotten a photo of that well my memory of the georgia dome i attended as a spectator i was covering those olympics for sports illustrated but some venues you just went to with a ticket because you were were off duty. That was the last night of the Olympics, was it not? Yeah, we were the last event of the Olympics, so we didn't get to go to the closing ceremonies as a result. And I must have blown off the closing ceremonies, and I had a ticket to attend the gold medal women's basketball game, and I went, 
And my most vivid memory of that night is it was the first time I'd ever heard of this. People would stand up when the song would come on and do this dance, and it was the Macarena. I'd never heard of it. Within 12 hours, I you could hear nothing other than that. But um, Can I just say that I love the fact that you were at our gold medal winning game. You and I wouldn't meet until, you know, what, 15 years later. But 15? Yeah, 15 years Five later. Five years later. Oh, gosh. Yeah, okay. What? Five years later. So uh, the, the best part to me is, you know, your most vivid memory isn't anything that was watching your future wife play basketball. It was hearing the Macarena for the first time. That should have been our wedding song, the Macarena. I, 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 I knew I was watching my future wife, Marta of <laughs> <Yeah>. Brazil. <laughs> yes, it was Marta or Janeth. Yes, or, but uh, I, I, I settled for you. Yeah, well, I'm so lucky. That and, I'm, glad, and, I'm glad you were and, willing to in, settle. In my hour of need this week, I, I was so grateful just, to have you by my side. <laughs> just think how different your life would have been if instead of, instead of marrying me, you had end, ended up with one of those gymnasts. You know, she probably would have been home taking care of you. You know, all your little tiny children would have been running around and doing flips down the driveway. And, and, I'm sure, and I'm sure that, so that imaginary better. gymnast and I would have been very happy. <laughs> I, I think... I think you would have. Speaking of our, our, our miniature and, children. And you probably would have been much happier also. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of our miniature children, our youngest was at a birthday party recently. And birthday parties have changed completely since we were kids. I mean, the whole notion that the kids who attend the party, every single one of them, should not only just come home with a gift, but should come home with a bag full of gifts still blows me away. I mean, when we were kids, you'd go to a birthday party, you'd bring somebody a present, you'd eat pizza and cake, and you were happy. And you came home empty-handed and you were happy. Now, kids, there's, I mean, have we ever sent our kid to a birthday party, somebody else's birthday party, where they haven't come home with their own gift bag? It's an its an absurd thing that, that, that people do. They come home with $3 worth of merchandise from the dollar store, which right. in which means hundreds of plastic spider rings and stickers and and pencils that the erasers don't work and the and forget springsteen if anybody ever comes to our house with another pencil <laughs> they're being thrown out they're being thrown out but it but does this mean like are our kids now when they grow up and kids of this generation when they grow up and they go to somebody's 30th birthday party or 40th birthday party are they going to expect then when they leave to, to come back with some little gift bag? Well, like, you are expected when you go to somebody's house to bring something. Well, true, but, but and you will be. You will be bringing them their birthday present. But, but now the problem is, do they expect to also leave with something? We have enough trouble figuring out what to bring somebody when we're going well, to their house. Well, you mentioned we went to Gino and Kathy Oriama's house for dinner the night before the banner ceremony, had a lovely dinner, great conversation, wonderful people, but... Do we feel obliged to bring a bottle of wine? When you and I don't know anything about wine. And he knows everything about wine and has a cellar full of it. Am I, am I wrong? Yes, he's got a beautiful wine cellar. He's, he, he knows wine. You and I don't know wine. So yeah, what, what, do you, what we should have probably brought him was a bottle of his own wine. <laughs> he would have been happy with that. Yeah. It was, yeah, that, that's, that can be the tricky thing is, all right, you're going to someone's house. Exactly what 
what should I bring them? And that was one of those situations. We can't bring him wine. We don't, we don't know anything about wine. He knows everything about wine. So we ended up, we brought a bottle of this cool liqueur called Pisa. The coolest thing about it is that it's in a bottle that actually tilts on the table because of the leaning tower of Pisa. So is it Pisa or uh, Pisa? Pisa, I always pronounce okay, it. Okay, me too. I don't know why I just said Pisa. Anyway, that's, and, and even if the stuff tastes terrible, it's in a cool looking bottle. And we left with, with we, gifts. I, I stole a small actually. vase. <laughs> That's not true, but we did leave with the, the leftover apple crisp. Oh, we did, yes. Because Kathy Oriama used to make that when we would have an occasional dinner at her house when I was a player, and it was my absolute favorite dessert. And she thoughtfully made that for our dessert that night, too. So uh, I guess, what, what, what am I talking about leaving a party with a gift bag? We left with a gift container of apple crisp. People may be listening to this Thanksgiving weekend, Thanksgiving Day, probably not. You better be better hosts than than that, but maybe if they're running late, they're uh, they're listening to this in the car. Maybe if they're running to stop and shop to buy a bunch of miniature chickens. <laughs> turkey. It was a turkey. Like breast. I was a couple of years ago. First of all, nobody buys miniature chickens or large chickens on Thanksgiving, for that matter. Passengers a- traveling with miniature chickens. <laughs> and, and I think I've been seated next to some passengers traveling with mini chickens on a leash. But go on. Well. Okay, so one year, we, we almost always host Thanksgiving, and, and I'm, a, I'm a decent cook, but I'm not a great cook. And one, one year I read, or I saw on TV, something Gordon Ramsay said, after you cook your turkey, you should let it sit for as long as it cooked. And at least that's what I thought it said. So I think our turkey cooked for like, was needed to cook for like four hours. So I let it cook for four hours, and I let it sit for four hours. And I realized like the third hour of it sitting that it could have in that time gone bad because I didn't have it sitting in the fridge. I just had it sitting on the counter. At which point on Thanksgiving Day, I sent you to Stop and Shop to buy multiple turkey breasts. They weren't miniature chickens. To buy multiple turkey breasts. They look like mini chickens. So we would have turkey to eat. Um, Has that been the only time that we've ever... We've had a couple of disasters, I think. It seems like every Thanksgiving... Sometimes you pull out a smoldering, charred, smoking sitcom chicken. No, I've never... First of all, it's never a chicken. A turkey. (laughs) But no, I I haven't done that. What I have done is mistimed how long it needs to cook. And this is this is an issue, and this is what I was ta- going to go with before. My family is late to everything, excluding my father, my brother, and sister. Honest to God. Your if father's we, 20 minutes early. Well, for yes, which is its own problem. But if we tell my sister and her family and my brother and his family to be at our house at 2 so we can eat at 3, they'll get here at 4. And so that's what's happened in the past. We'll tell them to get here at 2 so we can eat at 3. There And at two, the turkey, not the chicken, is ready. So I've had it be ready way too early. But let's get back to this thing about them always being late to everything. Like, what is worse? They, I mean, they're ridiculously late, but then my dad is early to everything. So sometimes I'm running around the house, you know, trying to do my last few things to get ready. And all of a sudden, the kids are like, Dampa's here. And it's, and it's 30 minutes early. So what is it with time? Why do people have such... And you, you're never late. You're, you're a stickler. You can't stand the notion of being late. I think it's they just don't know the correct local time. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. This year, I'll tell them to get here at 11 a.m. Central Time and then see if that will get them here at 12 o'clock Eastern. We'll, we'll have to work on how to uh, 
to make people just get here when they're supposed to be here. Guests traveling with small chickens <laughs> should know the correct local time. Do you want to do viewer mail this week? Um, yeah, I think it's time to do some viewer mail. Again, if anybody has any questions or comments, send them to Ball and Chain Pod, which is our Twitter handle, or you can always send it to at Rebecca Lobo or at Steve Russian. We will take a look at those too. So one of the things people said because last week I talked about the new piece of furniture that we were two we we had already had for two weeks. It was in our dining room. You had no idea what it was. They said we need to know what it was. Was it a little tiny thing? What was it? So they could know how ridiculous it was that you you weren't aware of it. So, what, in fairness, I don't even know what it had been, but it was a small table covered in spider plants. It's 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 like a it's a table because that we had a little tiny table that the, some plants were on and that broke, and so this this it's a substantial piece of furniture though. It's a it's a like a side table has some plants on it, but we have so little furniture in that room that you absolutely should have noticed it. Another thing, we had a few people respond to us because we talked about what adult, you know, who wears a clip-on tie past elementary school. And we had a few people respond that firefighters, police officers, security guards all wear clip-on ties. It strikes me that it's pretty much anyone whose job is, you know, I guess maybe not so much a firefighter, but a police officer and a security guard where there's a high probability that you might get into an altercation with someone that if they pull on your tie, that you, it would be something you would want to come off. That makes sense. Did we did we do occupations where you cannot possibly wear a clip-on tie? The only one I can think of would be Chippendale Dancer. <laughs> you have to wear the little bow tie that goes right. all the way, right? A boxer. Nothing to clip any, it onto. Any of those, I don't any think of those bo- boxing referees wear ties. Then they're probably clip-ons. Because if a boxer's falling and grabs your tie as his last measure of saving himself, baseball you would... umpires used to wear a tie. I, I miss that age. Baseball when, umpires when, wore when... ties. No, used to. But like, could you even see them? Blazers Was that... and ties. Did, did they... Sure. Do they still have that giant chest protector on? Back, back in back in in the 1950s, baseball players wore neckties at the plate. <laughs> the New York Yankees true. wore wore a f- a full neckties and pinstripe suits. <laughs> See, it was a more formal age this, in a, in, a, in a fedoras. This is the kind of thing you could tell me, and I would believe because you unlike you, it. I haven't I haven't studied 1950s 1950s baseball. What other profession could you not possibly wear a tie? Sports writing. Sports writing. That would be one. I don't know. Okay. Maybe two and three. Well, if anyone has any questions, again, send them to us on Twitter. We'd like to thank our producer, Denny with one N Gallagher. We still haven't asked him about Dennis being with two ends and Denny being with one. We have to get him in studio, in basement. In basement. We'll get him in basement. We'll ask him about that. And Tom, Dick, and Harry are working on a new song. We're going to keep our theme song, but we're hoping at some point that they'll, they'll send us some new songs that we can play at the end of the podcast. So keep your ears and eyes open for that. In the meantime, we always have the ball and chain theme that will play us out. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm going to return to my fetal position. I'm going to return to my observation of your fetal position. Tom, Dick, and Harry, play us out. Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. 
Day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane Six of us and the family pad Live in cuckoo nest Daily grind puts your sanity To a daily test Androgynous and vigorous What we give for a little rest Day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane